Marcus Magnus Punches Reality at TwoTrueFreaks.com. Discussion about comics, movies, and TV shows. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality every Tuesday at TwoTrueFreaks.com. Hey everybody, Magnus here. Read a quote from Ben Affleck a couple of days ago. He said that if he could take any movie back, that is, any movie that he's ever been in, if he had a magic wand and he could just erase it from history, the one that he'd choose would be Daredevil. Just think about that for a minute. Let it sink in. The guy that made Reindeer Games wishes he could undo Daredevil. The guy that made Jersey Girl, if he could undo anything, it would be Daredevil. The guy that made Gigli. If he could undo anything, it would be Daredevil. Fuck's sake. Hey, your attention, please! This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Dr. Doom wears body to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Welcome back to Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. I'm Magnus, your host, and around here I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. That's the official line, anyway. But as I look back on my archive of episodes up to this point, I don't see a whole lot of discussion about movies and TV. So, huh. Not sure what to do about that, but whatever. Another problem for another day. Now... Not very long ago, I wrapped up my Superman Begins series, which was all about various Superman origin stories from comics. Anytime Clark became Superman, or Superboy became Superman, or whatever the fuck Jeff Johns attempted to do, I talked about it. I had a real blast doing it, too, so I decided to dive into the Elseworlds series, wherein I explore several different Elseworlds books. So... The idea is to give these Elseworlds comics the same kind of treatment I gave the Superman origin stories. Now, Wikipedia says that Elseworlds is the publication imprint for a group of comic books produced by DC Comics that takes place outside the company's canon. The imprint presents narratives in which existing characters or storylines are introduced to an entirely new idea or concept and often put into alternate timelines or realities. Gotham by Gaslight 
featuring Batman is considered to be the first Elseworlds story. The Elseworlds name was copyrighted in 1989, the same year as the first Elseworlds publication, and supplanted the previous Imaginaries stories series that employed the same premise. Unlike its Marvel Comics counterpart, What If, which bases its stories on a single point of divergence from the regular continuity, most Elseworlds stories instead take place in entirely self-contained continuities, with the only connection to the canon DC continuity being the presence of familiar DC characters. And that's where the Wikipedia description ends. Basically, the definition for dumb shits out there is that Elseworlds takes a familiar character or idea and puts it into a completely different context. I can't simplify it beyond that. There were shitloads of Elseworlds books released during the 1990s, but the release schedules really petered out over the last few years. And Dan DiDio says the reason for that is because the stories just became too formulaic. Ooh, what if Superman was British? Well, nobody gives a shit about that, so DiDio says that's why he placed an informal moratorium on Elseworlds books. That's the official story, and there may even be a germ of truth to it, too, but I think the more likely explanation is that Elseworlds comics just don't sell very well. By definition, it's the rare Elseworlds book that has ramifications on continuity. So on that basis, and with cover prices at $3.99, it doesn't make sense to buy anything more than is necessary, so DC slowed down on producing Elseworlds comics. The main reason is, as I say, there's a perception that you're wasting time and money reading this stuff when you already can be sure that it has absolutely nothing to do with continuity. That's what I think, and you won't change my mind. So, anyway. Today's Elseworlds book is Batman and Dracula, Red Rain, a 1991 Elseworlds book. This son of a buck generated two sequels, Batman Bloodstorm and Batman Crimson Mist. Except to say that sequels exist, though, I... I'm not going to talk very much about them, because they don't have but jack and shit to do with the issue at hand. Anyway, it's kind of tough to describe how important this was when it first came out. At the time, the attitude seemed to be, oh wow, the Sandman guy, he's doing a Batman comic? Sign me up. But. It was also controversial because this is the Elseworlds tale that made Batman a fucking vampire. But I'll come back to that. For the, for the moment, into the summaries we go. This is Batman and Dracula, Red Rain. Writer is Doug Minch. Penciler is Kelly Jones. Inker is Malcolm Jones III. Letterer is Todd Klein. And colorist is... Less Dorshide, Dorkside, Darkside. I don't know how to fuck to pronounce this. This is D O R C. Sorry, D O R S C H E I D. So, however the hell you pronounce that. Anyway, investigating a series of murders of Gotham's homeless, the victims' throats having been slashed. 
Batman discovers that the murders are being committed by a family of vampires led by Dracula himself, still alive and well. With the aid of a rogue vampire called Tanya, who was once a member of Dracula's brood until the sight of an innocent child drove her to flee from him, creating a blood substitute to spare her from the cycle of death and murder, Batman himself having been bitten by a vampire, Tanya, who seeks his defense in defeating Dracula, as all vampires created by Dracula are powerless against his abilities and mental powers. Batman, himself bitten by, by a vampire, is able to acquire the strength necessary to stand against Dracula's minions while retaining his humanity. Determined to destroy Dracula's minions, Batman lures them into the Batcave, where Tanya and her followers keep him occupied until Batman de uh, detonates multiple explosive charges, destroying Wayne Manor and exposing the cave to sunlight, destroying all the vampires within it. Using his new bat-like wings, Batman flies to confront Dracula, eventually impaling the vampire lord on a tree that's been destroyed by lightning, but at the cost of the last of his humanity, as Dracula drains the last of his blood. However, after his will's been read by Alfred, Batman assures his old friend that he has nothing to fear. Bruce Wayne may be gone, but the Batman, thanks to his vampiric powers, will now go on forever. Now, I won't bullshit any of you. I didn't read this when it first came out because in my 10-year-old mind, Batman was the epitome of virtue and heroism. So turning a motherfucker into a vampire seemed like the exact thing you shouldn't do with Batman. So I kind of turned my nose up at Red Rain. And I have to say that this was done with some regret on my part because then as now... I seriously dig Kelly Jones on Batman, but I'll tackle that a little bit more later on. Now, for now, let it be said that I only read this for the first time about two years ago. I mean, as you get older, your tastes change, and the comics that you refuse to experiment with as a kid may seem more interesting as an adult, such as the case with Red Rain. I love, love, freaking love this story. As it's an Elseworld book intended for more mature audiences, Mensch can go just a little bit darker and more adult with the material. So, it should be said, though, that Mensch understands that a bunch of shock stuff like gore and TNA can't be what your book rises and falls on. So... Mench is Mench is ultimately presenting an idea. Batman pursuing a vampire eventually becomes a vampire. And that's a big fucking idea right there. You wouldn't dare attempt this in regular continuity. But in Elseworlds book, hey, go for it. Mench sets up this atmosphere of claustrophobia and paranoia for Batman. He he knows he's close to something, he just he just doesn't know what at first. And at the same time, it's further driving his relentlessness, but it's also frustrating him. And Doug Mensch conveys all of that without Bruce having to stop for a pages-long soliloquy on what he's thinking about. But 
Mensch doesn't get lost in his own world of bullshit like a lot of writers, a lot of other writers probably would. He's not above taking just a couple of jabs at the system as he tells his story. Commissioner Gordon and the mayor have a funny little exchange on page 8 where the mayor demands that Gordon launch a full-scale investigation into the murders, but to somehow do it in a way that doesn't attract any attention from the media. Only a politician could give an order that idiotic. Anyway. The moment Batman becomes a vampire feels logical. Mensch isn't forcing something into the plot that doesn't already belong there. In the context of the story, Batman becoming a vampire adds up. Now, usually with stories like this, it's all about the concept, and not so much the conclusion. But the conclusion here, again, feels very much of a piece with everything else in the story. Dracula dies, and it comes about from a very logical and coherent chain of events. It doesn't feel forced or rushed. And so, all in all, I loved the hell out of this story. So, now, this may be a quibble, but Minch doesn't exactly try to hide the fact that Batman is pursuing a vampire from the reader. The rev... The revelation, or supposed twist, of the story revolves more around the fact that Batman is unwittingly chasing down Dracula. Except, even that's sort of given away by the title of the damn thing, so, hmm. Now, far be it for me to second-guess how a writer tells his story. Usually. The major exception to that is when Jeff Johns writes Superman, and then I've got plenty of advice because... He obviously needs all the help he can get, but anyway, normally, I don't think it's my business to second-guess how a writer tells his story, but in this case, I think there's some juice to the idea of making the big reveal of the story that Batman is chasing down a vampire, rather than leading off with that within the first page or two. So, as I say, I love this story, so if the biggest gripe I have about it is this kind of small quibble about the structure of it, you can rest assured that Mensch, as usual, knocked it out of the park. So, Kelly Jones. I don't know when it happened, but I eventually realized at some point in my comic book reading life that artists are to comics what directors are to film. They're the ones who dictate the look and feel of a story. So, it's important to match a film director with a screenplay that's suited to his sensibilities. So, if you want to think of pencilers as directors, Kelly Jones is basically the Tim Burton of comics in some ways. His Batman was darker than anything that had come before. Everything in the Kelly Jones Batman universe is dark, sinister, and gothic. I just ate the art up with a spoon. I love the shadows and the atmosphere and the darkness of this book. Gotham is filled with cobblestone roads that are lit by these dim streetlights and the shadows are taking over the city. Batman's cape is fucking miles long. His, the ears on his cowl are two feet high. God, it's just amazing. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Now, full disclosure... 
Kelly Jones has an art style that could be the dictionary definition of acquired taste. And it's true that he does some things better than others. If you want a dark, haunting Batman story, he's not a bad choice. If you want a big, powerful, epic, and majestic Batman, you may want to hold out for Jim Lee, the Michael Bay of comics. But the majority of Red Rain plays to all of Jones' strengths as an artist. And, and true, this is, this is much earlier in his career, so for as dark as his art style is here, it's nowhere close to where he'd eventually end up. That much is also true. But it's still some phenomenal work by one of the most unique and offbeat pencilers of his generation. In fact, it's tempting, but wrong, to just write Jones off as just another Vertigo guy. And I'm, I'm really sick to fuck of people doing that. Be but whatever, I'll, I'll spare you that rant. Anyway, my point is that it's wrong to do that because Kelly Jones has so much more to bring to the table than being just another pretentious vertigo asshole. Again, his art is very much an acquired taste. Alright? It ain't for everybody. But if you can buy into his art style, my argument is would be that he's as strong as anybody else in the game and definitely better than Jim Lee or Alex Ross, especially when it comes to storytelling. Now, I realize some of you may think that I'm stretching a little, but hear me out with this next, this next bit. When I was a kid and first getting into Batman, I was given the greatest Batman stories ever told, which was a collection of Batman's then... 50-year history in comics. One story in that collection came from Detective Comics number 31 and 32. And it's a story that's usually called Batman versus the Vampire. Um, Matt Wagner would later go on to do his own version of this in, in a way called Batman versus the Mad Monk. This is where the Matt Wagner series came from. Now, Batman vs. the Vampire, Detective Comics, 31 and 32. I loved that story as a kid. I read it over and over and over again. I have a, I have a taste for paranormal stuff mixing with Batman, and I think Batman vs. the Vampire is the main reason why. No, the story makes no logical sense, but to me, that's not the point. The point of that of that storyline is that it's all about the visuals and the atmosphere of it. You know, all those full moons, those werewolves and vampires and hypnotic trances, and all that stuff. I, mean, I mention all of this to say that this story pushes the same buttons for me as an adult. I wouldn't want this to be the incontinuity Batman, all right? I, well, you know what? I say that. The new 52 Batman is such a clusterfuck that... You know, maybe this would... No, you know what, no. I, I don't want this in the regular DC universe, but as an Elseworlds thing, man, oh man, I just eat this up with a spoon. Love it. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Anyway, here's my recommendation. If you like offbeat, paranormal kind of stuff involving Batman, 
Well, odds are you probably already own this book, but if you don't, eBay is your friend. Odds are you can get it for cheap if you try, and it's worth tracking down. Satisfaction guaranteed. Oh, yeah, and like I said before, Red Rain is the first of a trilogy of Batman vampire books. Now, I don't know when, but you can rest assured I'll eventually tackle the remaining two books in this trilogy. I don't know when, but just keep your your ears peeled. It's going to happen. But for now, some promos. never prayed to you before. I have no tongue for it. No one, not even you, would remember if we were good men or bad. Why we bought, why we sold on eBay. All that matters is that 50 cent Captain Kirk Migo Akachin figure. That's what's important. Cheapness pleases you, Grom. So grab me one request. Grab me the fruit of suburbia's garage sales. Let me drive those dealers away from that box of records and hear the lamentations of the children as I buy their Star Wars toys for a quarter. And if you do not listen, then to hell with you! Hello, I'm Chris Honeywell, and I make my living going to garage sales and then selling the junk I find on eBay. That's right, just like those assholes on TV. You can hear a podcast all about it where I tell you about all the good junk I got, how I sold it, give you tips, Gripe, bitch, and moan, and even have friends come along with me. So check it out. It's called Garage Sale Gloat, and it can only be found at twotruefreaks.com, which is, of course, the home of the Two True Freaks Network. Duh. Wow, I'm really glad I decided to pony up and take my wife to Italy for her birthday. The food, the sights, the atmosphere, it's all just so perfect <sighs> too bad I had to ask if there was a comic book shop located at the Vatican uh, maybe it wasn't the brightest thing to do on her birthday but granted I'm certain I've done things way more foolish than that good afternoon ah! where did you come from and who the heck are you my name is Dufo de Manzo and where I come from is none of your concern what is of your concern is that I have an offer to make of you an offer that you should not refuse. Uh, okay. What is it? I have listened to your podcasts, and it just so happens that I am in the podcasting business myself. Someday I will ask a favor of you, one that I hope you will repay to me in good faith. When you do so, you will become a part of my family, and your show will prosper along with it. Well, that sounds great. What do I need to do? You will know when the time is right. Until then, I wish you and your lovely wife the happiest of times in my fair country. Uh, oh, okay, cool. Some time has passed. 
And that does it for another episode of Just One of the Guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and I'll catch you all next week. Bravo. Bravo. God! How how the hell did you find me? How did you get in my house? Do not worry yourself with such trivial matters. I have seen your work with this podcast, and I have come to accept the favor that is owed to me. Uh, but you never said what you wanted from me. That is true, so let me restate it now. Wait, what? I have started up a brand new podcasting venture entitled Two True Freaks. I am setting them up with their own website, twotruefreaks.com. And I am gathering up podcasts such as yours that have gained my favor to become a part of the Two True Freaks podcast network. I will do the honor of putting the Just One of the Guys on the Two True Freaks network. And in return, our debt will be settled. Oh, okay. Hey, wait, what debt? Do you accept my offer? Uh, sure. I mean, does this mean I'll get paid for the show finally? No. Oh, okay. Well, does it mean I'll get some cannoli? Of course. The DiManzo family originated cannoli. In fact, we are known the world over for our stuffing of creamy fillings in the tubes. Come check out Just One of the Guys every Friday at 2TrueFreaks.com. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey. And I am Jeffrey Taylor. And we host a podcast called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Presented by the Superman homepage. On the show... Wait, wait, wait. What? This just isn't working out for me. It's not bombastic enough. We need something epic. Like what? Welcome to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Presented by the Superman homepage. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And I am Michael Bailey. From Crisis to Crisis chronicles the adventures of Superman. Wait, wait, from... wait, 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 wait. I'm just not feeling this. I'm just wondering how there's a needle scratching sound when all of this is clearly digital. Look, all we need to say is that this is the, a trailer for a show called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by the home, Superman homepage. My name is Michael Bailey. I'm Jeffrey Taylor. And every week we give in-depth synopsis and reviews for just about every Superman book published between Man of Steel number one in 1986 and Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. We also talk about the related Superman media, what was happening in the rest of the world when these comics were published and what else was going on in the DC Universe. The show drops every Thursday-ish at the Superman homepage, which is located at www.supermanhomepage.com. From Crisis to Crisis is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, located at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. So join Jeffrey and I each week as we explore Superman during the post-crisis era, which includes Exile, Panic in the Sky, Doomsday, The Marriage, and Beyond. And write into the show at FromCrisisToCrisis at gmail.com and hear it read on the air, eventually, because we get behind on that sort of thing. 
Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Side effects from, from Crisis to Crisis include loss of money from buying back issues, a desire to read 20-year-old comic books, nausea, drowsiness, pizza, blurred vision, upset stomach, a desire to kick puppies and kittens, and backache from lifting boxes of Superman comics. If the excitement of From Crisis to Crisis lasts more than four hours, seek immediate medical attention. Ho, ho, ho. And here you thought this was probably the end of the episode. Just admit it. You thought it was over, didn't you? Didn't you? Didn't you? Well, anyway. No, uh, basically what's been going on is I've gotten a pretty decent amount of feedback, so what I'd like to do is just go through some of that right now, if I may. The first email that came through comes from Jason Ritter, the title of which is Suggestion for an Episode. And Jason doesn't exactly bury the lead on this one. He says... Hi, Trentus Magus. And by the way, uh, Jason, it's Magnus. Trentus Magnus. Anyway. Just found out about your show. I love it. I have an idea for an episode. So could you do commentary on three episodes of Superman the Animated Series? The first is The Way of All Flesh. The second, he suggests, is Stolen Memories. And the third is Speed Demons. Finishes off the email by saying, anyways, keep up the good work from Jason Jimbo Ritter. So, first of all, Jason, thank you very much for taking the time to write in. Definitely appreciate all that. Second, I consider all feedback. Now, I'm not sure when I'm going to do any more commentary. I'll be honest with you. I mean, a lot of other shows out there do commentary, and um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm thinking about it, but I don't. I, I don't have anything... I'm not going to commit to anything right now, but those are some good episodes. So if I do some, uh, if I do some some more commentary, it'll uh, probably be about uh, about that. So moving on, this next email is is uh, entitled "Love the Show." This comes from Van Boyemus Prime. He writes, "Greetings," and as I wrote in the header, "I love your show." One thing I'd love to see on the show is the Legion of Superheroes and Star Trek crossover from IDW. Not sure if you enjoyed it as much as I did, but it was interesting to see the ma- to see the mashup that the reality the Legion and Enterprise landing party ended up in. Another thing is Dream War. The Silver Age Justice League, Marv Wolfman slash George Perez Teen Titans, the classic Legion of Superheroes, and Justice Society in the Wildstorm for a fight and then team up with the local heroes. A bit by the numbers, but doing that very well. Um, So I guess we better go... And that was the end of his email, by the way. So I guess we better go through these one by one. First up, the Legion Star Trek crossover... I've never read it. Um, I haven't... This is actually the first thing that I've heard about it either way. I knew that there was such a thing that was out there... But I'd sort of, I think by the time this this crossover came out, I'd sort of developed a, a distaste for the unbooted Legion of Superheroes. Because I assume, I, I think this is the, the, uh, the original continuity slash restored Legion of Superheroes, the classic version. And I'd sort of lost my taste for that. I mean, I never really had much of a taste for it to begin with, to be perfectly honest, but... Um, by the time this came out, 
I just kind of gotten a little bit fed up with the Legion of Super. You know what? Fuck it. I'll I'll tell you about it. Basically, what happened was, um, I kind of got on this Legion of Superheroes uh, binge. I want to say it was, ooh, maybe the end of 2010 or the beginning of 2011. It's around there. You're on the right track. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of things that were going on that, you know, kind of facilitated all that. And I hinted at a little bit of that. I think it was in, was it in my first episode or or was it in the, the Legion of Superheroes episode? I actually, I don't remember, but whatever. It was one of those. One of those two episodes, I, I talked a little bit about it. And um, anyway, so that was about the time I started kind of cracking out on uh, all things Legion of Superheroes, right? And... <clears throat> By that point, the uh, classic Legion of Superheroes had been back in continuity for quite some time. So um, what I started doing was, well, it hadn't been that long since their ongoing series had uh, had started. So what I decided I was going to do is just backtrack all of the back issues, just go back to all of those uh, adventures, uh, or rather adventure comics, and then the monthly Legion uh, of Superheroes title, and just... Just follow those month in and month out. And went ahead and did so. And I have to say that um, I still hold that, I don't know, maybe like the the first six months or the first year maybe of uh, Adventure Comics, once the Legion took over, I hold that actually in pretty high regard because it was, uh, I think the the concept for the book, at least at the time, was that Paul Levitz would use that to sort of tell Legion of Su- like basically early Legion of superhero stories, right? Uh, adventures with Superboy and all of this other stuff. And I really, I really got into that. Uh, you know, I was very taken uh, by that. And uh, in fact, I and I'm totally blanking on issue numbers now, but I remember that there was an issue where Superboy basically stopped by the Superman Museum, right? And he's on the one hand, he's kind of fascinated by some of the things that he's going to achieve in his future but he also comes face to face with a doomsday statue and it is not a mystery to him that he's going to die at doomsday's hands and so he's obviously creeped out by it and i thought that was just such a cool and powerful moment that he was afraid to find out about his own destiny now that's the good stuff. The and that and I think that was actually like part of a multi, sort of like a multi-part story. Actually, now that I think about it, I, th- I think that was like a three or four-part uh, story, where basically it's Superman hanging around in Smallville, decides, you know what, this is kind of boring. Fuck it, I'm going to the future. Hangs out in the future for a little while. Has some advent has some adventures with uh, the Legion. Whatever happens, happens. He comes back in time, and he's basically. Th- looking back at it once it's all over and saying, man, that was a lot of fun. And then that was pretty much that. And like I said, really enjoyed it. I thought that, especially that arc was, I thought that was pretty good, but by and large, the, the rest of the Levitt's uh, stuff, the classic or rather the return of the classic Legion. And then the stuff that Levitt's wrote, I just did not get into it. I mean, I didn't give two flying fucks about the Legion Academy, all right? Now, I realize that the Legion Academy has their zillions of fans, and yay. 
but I'm not one of them. All right. And then the other thing was that Levitz's writing was just paced ten different fucking kinds of weird. Uh, basically, uh, and I'm kind of blanking on it now because I'm I'm speaking very. I'm, it's this is all extemporaneous. I'm going. I'm I'm not going on notes or anything. I'm just basically going through each of these things as I find them. So I, it's not like I even had a chance to uh, review any of the issues before before getting into this. But what I remember from that run is that you would get going on these story arcs that would just, out of nowhere, just fucking end, all right? And I don't even mean, like, at a logical time. You know, the last page on the last chapter, that's when the shit ends, right? No. There were at least a few storylines that ended after, like, two or three issues, and then that was it. And then on the at the beginning of the fourth issue by page four, that's when it ends. And then page five... This is the start of something new. And it was just... It was fucking weird. And the other thing was... I was a complete Legion of Superheroes numbnuts. And to some extent, I still kind of am. Like the like the pre-crisis, the classic Legion. I just don't really know a whole lot about it. You know? Um, I know that a lot of people are very in love with that. They're very fixated with it. You know, taken by the drama of it. You know... This character is in love with that character, but they're not together, and so there's this sort of love triangle thing that's going on, and then, oops, one of those characters ends up getting off, and so now you have all these get uh, bits of guilt and everything, and, you know, there's just a lot of soap opera stuff that's going on there, and a lot of people just eat that up with the spoon. And you know what? Fuck it. I bet that's even some pretty good stuff. You know, I mean, I read The Great Darkness Saga, and I didn't... You know, I mean, like, the A-plot of it, you know, it's basically the Legion up against Darkseid. That much I can connect to. And I really enjoyed that, and I thought it had some, you know, some good bits of character in there and all that stuff. But, you know, bottom line, there's more to the Legion of Superheroes than just that one storyline. A lot more. And especially uh, for a continuity wonk like Paul Levitz. Um... I guess I was just expecting more. And the fact is, he he just dove headfirst into this thing. And my suspicion is this. If you are a dyed-in-the-wool, hardcore, original, or classic, or whatever it's called now, unbooted Legion fan, I'm guessing you are completely in in love with the Levitt's... Uh, Legion of Superhero stuff after they restored, you know, the original the original version of Legion. I bet, or I wouldn't be surprised if this stuff is just right up your alley. Those of you who are extremely knowledgeable about the Legion of Superheroes, who are very steeped in Legion of Superheroes lore, I bet this is awesome for you. For us mere mortals, though, it was fucking impossible to follow anything that was going on. Now, in and of itself, I don't have a problem with continuity. I really don't. I, To me, and actually to a lot of other people, continuity is... that. I mean, it, it's really a deal-breaker. You know, I mean, I'm of the opinion that a reader should... Your story should count for something. You know, the reader should be able to invest in it and know that this isn't going to get just... Whatever it is that's going on isn't going to just get swept under the rug next month when the new creative team takes over. 
that all of this is building towards something. So when I say that my problem with the Legion of Super, like the classic Legion of Superheroes, is continuity, take it on that basis. I don't mind so much the fact that there is continuity. What bothers me is that Levitt's made absolutely no effort to write accessible stories. Um, there is a story, uh, and again, this is an, uh, this is an, adventures, uh, an adventure comics issue that started off, and I think it had a little snippet of Lightning Lad's funeral. Well, like I said, I was a complete Legion of Superheroes just retard. I didn't know anything about the Legion. I just knew that I loved the concept of the team, and I was trying to get into the books and, you know, try to, you know, get on top of things, and all at once... Hold on, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that the... This classic, this old school, like, I guess, year one Legion, Lightning Lad somehow fucking died, but he's alive in the modern day. What the fuck is going on here? What, is that like his brother or something? And Or a clone? I, I, or when did he come back? I mean, this is comics. People come back from the dead all the time. It's like, shit, comics have turned death into a common cold. When did he come back from the dead? When did he die? When did he come back? What the fuck happened? Well, if all you read was that issue, you'd have no fucking idea. All you know is that the guy that you're reading about in the current day, quote-unquote, Legion of Superheroes book, is somehow fucking dead in Adventure Comics. Figure that out, right? And it's not that hard to figure out. I mean, obviously, fucker died, and then he came back to life. What's the big deal? But the point is, that was not written in anything that even remotely resembled something that could somehow fucking someday be mistaken for accessible. I mean, he kind of, it's basically throwing your ass in the deep end of the ocean and, and saying, hey, well, swim to England. Well, motherfucker, dude. I mean, anyway, so that and... But even once you get past all of that stuff, the continuity of it, you know, just how hard it is uh, to follow certain things. You remember when so-and-so did this? Well, there's not a fucking little label down at the bottom of uh, the panel that, you know, hey, you remember when we were beating the fuck out of Smash Man, and, and man, what an adventure that was. And then that little panel down at the bottom, the little stim, uh, Jim uh, Stanley thing that said, oh, yeah, the, the ass-kicking took place in issue number blah, blah, blah. You know, fucking nothing like that was in there. All right? And so, but even when you move away from stuff like that, I just thought that the stories were just kind of, Weak sauce. Like I said, I didn't give a shit about the Legion Academy. I didn't care about uh, those characters. I didn't care about, you know, what the Legionnaires who were training those uh, would-be Legionnaires uh, were thinking. I don't care about who they're fucking. I don't care about their love lives. I don't, I mean, you know, it's just, it, this is the most boring stuff ever, Right. So, I want to say that maybe it was around August or September, maybe July, fuck, I don't know, but it was it was right around there, of uh, 2011. I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to cash in my chips on this. I don't, I don't see this version of the Legion of Superheroes getting any better. Not why... Not while Paul Levitz is writing. And so, right as I decided that it's time for me to 
probably dropped the books, word came down the pipeline that the new 52 was on the way. So what that inspired me to do was rather than drop the books immediately, I thought, well, you know what, fuck it. I'm, I've made it this far. I'm going to stick around until the end of this current DC continuity, and then that will be my cutoff. Right after this, I'm done. You know, because it just when you already know when you already know for a fact that you're this close to having a complete run of something, does it make any sense at all to quit in the last issue or two? I don't think so. So anyway, so this is all a very long and very roundabout way of saying that no, I did not read the Legion of Superheroes and Star Trek crossover from IDW, and pretty much that's why. Uh, like I said, I just kind of got to the point where I just kind of washed my hands of the Legion of Superheroes and Disgust, which is kind of a damn shame on a lot of levels. Number one, I feel like if a more talented writer than Paul Levitz had been writing this stuff, I feel like you know this stuff actually had a lot of potential. But the thing that actually burned my balls, especially in the end, was... Okay, so Mark Wade comes up with this unspeakably awesome rebooted Legion of Superheroes, right? Something that doesn't, it does not depend upon continuity at all. This is the most continuity agnostic version of the Legion of Superheroes there's ever been. You can reboot the DC Universe as many times as you want without affecting this version of the Legion. It was the most severable the most independent version of the Legion of Superheroes that I know about. They threw that bullshit out the window. They threw that. My favorite version, the Wade Kitson Legion of Superheroes, they threw that out the window so that they could bring back the classic Legion. And then on top of all of that, as if that wasn't bad enough, the guy that made his bones as the you know, Legion of Superheroes writer extraordinaire, Paul Levitz. Probably the most important Legion of Superheroes writer there's ever been. And this is the shit that he turns out. And it just kind of felt like... I don't know. Like I mean, I know that DC, they're run by stupid people. I get that. But even on, even by that standard, I mean, for crying out loud. Anyway, so, truth is, the Legion of Superheroes and the Star Trek crossover could be pretty good. I don't know. And maybe someday I'll give it a shot. But at least, hopefully, now you understand why it is that I didn't read this stuff when it first came out. So, there's that. Now, the other thing. Um, Dream War. That actually sounds kind of interesting. Silver Age Justice League, Wolfman Perez Teen Titans, Classic Legion of Superheroes, and then the Justice Society. I assume what you're saying here is they're all in the Wildstorm universe. I don't understand what you're saying. Um, are you saying that this is like your dream battle, like something that you would actually like to see? Or... Are you saying that there's an actual comic book out there called Dream War? I mean, I'm not trying to be an idiot here, but I don't think I understand what you're saying. I'm, I'd like to think that if something this fucking awesome 
was a real comic book that they're you know the silver age justice league the teen titans legion of superheroes and then the justice society all in the wildstorm universe fighting each other i'd like to think i'd have heard about that but i mean i haven't exactly kept my fingers extremely close to the pulse of the comic book community so who's to say i mean maybe there is some but i think what you're asking me is or saying actually is that this would be your dream fight and if that's I'm I'm God I'm getting a dry throat I want to take a drink off my Dr Pepper. Now if this is your dream battle, um, I got to tell you I really can't criticize your choices too much. This is uh, this would be one hell of a showdown. So uh, anyway I think that's what you're saying that this is your your if you could see one fight in all of comicdom this would be what what you would want so anyway so that's that anyway next uh this next email came uh also from fanboy ms prime this is called not spam superman thoughts fanboy ms prime writes having listened to your coverage of superman origins and defense of smallville i have my thoughts i gotta be upfront and honest on one thing I honestly don't care about Superman's teen years unless it involves the Legion of Superheroes. Just a personal thing. That said, I did like finding out how many elements Smallville shares with Superman the Secret Years. Though I wonder if any of those various versions of the Man of Steel you explored would have slapped the John Secret Origins version who said the costume was stupid when he was a teen. Let me just put the thing on pause here and say, yeah, I kind of have to wonder about that myself. That w- God, Jeff Johns, what were you thinking? Anyway, back into the email. When you can fly, bullets flatten on your hide, and bench press cars, among other things. Let's just say the dress code is whatever you want, and anyone that laughs at you, learn to shut up in your presence. That's very true, actually. Birthright also was interesting, and in a recent con panel... Mark Wade said that it's still his favorite. This it's his favorite thing that that he that he'd done. I did not know that. Wow! I wish I could have been part of that panel. I assume this was done in a Q and A. Man, I wish I could have been in there. Because I mean, I look back on Mark Wade's history. You've got. I'm trying to think, like licensed stuff. You have uh, The Incredibles, which I thought was pretty good. You have uh, his creator-owned stuff, Irredeemable and Incorruptible. And you have obvious things like Superman, The Flash, uh, Legion of Superheroes, The Brave and the Bold. I mean, dude's really gotten around. And I think that's... We haven't even gotten into any of his Marvel stuff yet. I mean, that was, you know... So, wow, I, you know, th- this is this was the favorite thing that he's ever done. I mean, he looks back on his entire career, and this is the part that stands out. I mean, that's I had no idea about that. So, uh, fanboy, Miss Prime, thank you very much. I appreciate you. I appreciate you telling me that. I would honestly, I before I before I read this email, I would have if you'd asked me, I would have bet you a million fucking dollars. Without question, that his favorite thing would have been his run on The Flash. Because, you know, yeah, Superman's big and iconic, but 
he did something with the Flash that I don't think just any writer could have done. Without playing the the sort of Alan Moore, everything you know is a lie card, Mark Wade took everything that had come before, by which I mean the sort of asshole Wally West, and turned that character into somebody that you can really like and care about and root for. And, you know, he, he basically, he did that all on his own, and he contributed so much to the Flash lexicon. I mean, when you come right down to it, you know, yeah, he maybe has his fingerprints on Superman a little bit. But as far as I'm concerned, Wally West is Mark Wade's character. That's how I'm always going to look at it. I mean, there may come a day when other writers write Wally, and that's fine. He's always going to be Mark Wade's character. Superman is an icon, and he belongs to history. And so... That is, that's really something. I mean, I'm not criti- I'm not second guessing him because I, I love me some birthright, but wow, I, I had no idea he felt that way. So anyway, moving on back into Fanboyimus Prime's email on Superman Earth One. Very glad it's better than Batman Earth One. Well, keep in mind we got nowhere to go but up there, uh, Fanboyimus. But anyway, Black, that one was bad. Frankly, I'd have borrowed something from Loeb's Long Halloween if I included the birthday boy. And that would be mobsters or thugs under the organized crime or mayor, uh, or I think he means mayor. He wrote major, but I think he means mayor Cobblepot. Having him gunned down as mobsters or corrupt mayors want everything under control. Psychos who draw attention from people elsewhere would disrupt that and... Frankly, they'd be more trouble than they were worth. And have him mention that, plus a comment on if they don't remove the psychos, then they'd infest Gotham like cockroaches and never leave. With a reference of some kind to the Red Hood in the background. Anyway, back to Superman Earth 1, Fanboyimus writes, The one thing I do find annoying about it is how JMS ditched his regular Superman run of Grounded like it was on fire. Though it did lead to Chris Roberson taking over as writer, and he did a way better job with the back of the post of, of the postcard size scripts. And Roberson has said it was literally much for the script size. I don't, I don't think I understand what you're saying. And Roberson has said it was literally much for the script size. Roberson's Superman run plus his two issue Superman slash Batman story were really good. I highly recommend them. One thing at a time. Um, as far as Superman Earth One is concerned, um, when I was listening to my own episode about that, there's there are actually two things that I can't believe that I forgot to mention, but fucking I forgot to mention. Um, first up, uh, at the end of Superman Earth One Volume One. Uh, it is implied that Krypton was targeted. It was assassinated. This was not a natural disaster. Somebody destroyed Krypton, right? And so JMS has gone on the record. He gave some interview. I would say it was with Comic Book Resources. Uh, somebody. I don't know. It was somebody. But, uh, 
but um, basically in it. What he said was, um, he modeled uh, he modeled aspects of Krypton on. Uh, God, it was a Shakespeare play. Was it King Lear? Actually, I'm thinking it was... Uh, let's, actually, you know what? Let's just have a look. Well, fuck it. I don't know. But it was some Shakespearean play, whichever one has Iago in it. And, uh... At least I think, I think that's what it was. Whatever. Anyway, so... His point was that... Basically, there is a traitor, is maybe the best way to put it. It's a There's a traitor in our midst as far as... <clears throat> Why did I say Iago? It's Tyrell. Sir James Tyrell. Because as the name would suggest, Tyrell, the name of the villain in um, Superman Earth 1 Volume 1. So... Uh, if you thought that I said Iago a while ago, well, you misheard me. Um, it's probably a, something wrong with your speaker, because what I said was Sir James Tyrell. But anyway, Tyrell, the villain in um, uh, Superman Earth 1, Volume 1, is an intentional uh, reference to Richard III. And basically, Sir James Tyrell was an assassin. And... So he was working on behalf of somebody, and so what JMS wants us to ask is, who is Tyrell working on behalf of? And we're just supposed to, you know, basically have that in the back of our mind for the big reveal. Now, here's what I think. <clears throat> JMS set up, he established a very limited amount of information for Krypton, right? Apart from Superman, the only Kryptonian that we've heard even speak, and even that was a flashback, but the only one that we've heard speak is Jarrell. That's it. So, here's what I think. I think... Tyrell is working for Jorel. I think Jorel. I think it's going to be revealed that somehow Jorel is responsible for destroying Krypton. That's where I think this big revelation is going. Because he's the only Kryptonian that's really gotten any kind of character development at all. And even that's kind of minimal. Basically, he's, we, he's been set up. I mean, we know that he exists. But that's it. And so... That's what I think. I think that JMS and probably Earth One Volume Three is going to reveal that Jarrell, intentionally or not, directly or indirectly, is responsible for the destruction of Krypton, and that's pretty much that. So the other thing, and this is going to make more sense once I finally talk about Superman Earth One Volume Two. I just have no idea when I'm going to have a chance to do that. In Superman Earth 1, Volume 2, we meet Alexander and Alexandra Luther. 
And needless to say, this is not the normal uh, Lex Luthor that we that we uh, are you know used to seeing in the comics. That's you know that's that. He's he's just different. So as with Jarrell, I think that I think that JMS is up to something here. And what I think is going to happen is this. It's not just that Alexander Luther looks absolutely nothing like the stereotypical image that most people have of Lex Luthor. If anything, he actually looks more like Lionel Luther from Smallville. Um, Lex Luthor in Earth One, he uh, he's got that you know full head of hair. He's got the facial hair. <clears throat> I actually don't know what you call it when it's like a a partial beard. It sort of comes down, but it's it's shaved off on your on your cheeks down to the bottom of your jawbone and on your neck. I forget what you call that, but anyway. Lex doesn't seem really all that interested. Lex doesn't seem really all that interested in killing Superman. I think he views this more as a as an intellectual exercise. But uh, Alexandra, she seems to take a, a sort of creepy interest in in uh, uh, killing Superman. So what I think is going to happen is this. Um, they call themselves Lex Squared, because you've got Alexander Luther and Alexandra Luther, and they call themselves Lex Squared. I think that the Lex Luther that we're actually going to see in Earth One is going to be Alexandra. I think. Whatever is going to happen is going to happen. Alexander Luther is going to die, or something become vill- He's going to—I don't know. Whatever's going to happen to him is going to happen to him. But the Lex Luther figure of or of the Earth One universe is actually going to be Alexandra Luther, and. That's really just more of a theory I've got. I mean, I don't have, apart from what I've just outlined, I don't really have too much in the way of, I don't know, hard proof of all of that. It's just, it's it's a suspicion that I've got, that's all. So, so that's that. And I think that's it for email this time around. I, and I don't believe I've actually gotten any new, uh, any new um, iTunes reviews, which, by the way, um, because I've got a, a, a new feed in iTunes, um, that means that I've, I need, I need, uh, iTunes reviews for it. So, oh, wow. Okay. Yes, I do. Oh, boy, I took that. I, I've got to take that back. Once again, uh, Professor Allen to the rescue. The title of this, uh, iTunes review is Lurvit by Professor Allen, and he writes, Trentus puts together shows that are regularly entertaining and always informative. Don't believe me? Just ask him. <laughs> so, 
Uh, thank you very much, uh, Professor. Appreciate you taking the time to um, to uh, write my first iTunes review. In fact, you know what? I think let's have a look. I think you wrote. No, you didn't actually write my first iTunes review on my on my last feed on my old feed. You got the second one, and so you, no, but you were you were pretty close. But um, either way, thank you very much, uh, Professor Allen. I appreciate you taking the time to. Um, to, to write all of that and to the rest of you I mean just bear in mind I have a new I have a, a new iTunes feed now it's called <clears throat> it's called Two True Freaks Presents Trentus Magnus Punches Reality you'll know it's mine because it's got that red uh, logo that I use with a fist on it that's the um, that's the uh, uh, the logo for the active feed the inactive oops the inactive feed uses, uh, it's basically a picture of a sign that says out of business for good. And there's sort of a literal message to be taken from that. And so uh, that's that's the old one. So please don't, you know, submit any more for that one. That one's simply titled Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. My new feed is Two True Freaks Presents Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. And that's the one that needs some uh, iTunes reviews. So uh, so that's that's pretty much that. So any of you who who want to write some, I'd really appreciate it if you could. And uh, I think that's pretty much it for feedback this time around. Actually, you know what? Since I'm here, obviously the uh, yeah, it, it doesn't look like I've gotten any more messages on Facebook either. I've gotten a shitload of friend requests on Facebook since starting this thing, especially when I moved over to a. Uh, two true freaks but yeah no this is pretty much it as far as feedback so i guess that's it so uh thanks everybody for joining me and i will see you next week okay so i think that's just about the end of that trentus magnus punches reality is a proud member of the two true freaks podcast network you can find the home for trentus magnus punches reality at two true freaks Dot com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. You can email me and my parole officer at TrentusMagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. 
If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsecor of Milan, Italy. <laughs>